Mr. Tene, how are you doing, man? Good, good. How are you? This has been a long time coming. How's it going? Yeah, man. The the build up has been has been intense. <laughs> We've been Yeah, I've, I've really I've really been looking forward to I mean, I've had great guests, don't get me wrong. If you guys are listening, don't uh, blame me. But yeah, this one this one was an interesting encounter. Uh, finally someone in the same in the same vibe wanting to just get to know each other on podcasts is uh yeah exactly i mean when when we spoke first actually this is the first time we're speaking which is all the more incredible (laughs) and that was exactly what we connected with right the fact that um our first conversation not just you and me but with anybody right as long as it clicks is such a powerful experience it's almost that ink in a glass of water because Mm. you know the next the next drop of ink you put in doesn't have the same impact. Just that first one has all that impact, just spreads around. And that's what I've always found first conversations fascinating. And I always thought that first conversations make excellent podcasts. And turns out, like, that's exactly what you do. <laughs> like, like, you know, I've, I've, I've spoken to quite a few podcast hosts. And yes, I mean, they all enjoy and they're excellent hosts. But someone thinking in the manner that I was, uh, I just came across you. So it's uh, brilliant. I'm glad this is uh, finally happening. Yeah, me too, man. I love this way of looking at it. I've never, I've always loved those first conversations, but I've never put it in such a poetic manner. The first few interactions that we've had, they've, they've always, le- they've, they've led me to that thing of, all right, this guy is very special. <laughs> like there's something, there's something that's very special about you and, and, like there's a few personality traits that I've, even through text that I've been able to to identify, but I not even from an objective perspective. But what's been your experience in life? Like what have been like some of the key moments that have turned you into the human being that you are today? Oh wow, that's uh, a loaded question. I mean, that just calls back <laughs> so many uh, different things. But look, I'll be honest. It, it's funny because when I think back to my early days, my school days, right? I wasn't. I wasn't the it crowd. I wasn't the cool kid uh, or whatever it be, right? I just kept to my circle. And even now, I think many years later, I still do that. You know, I don't have this large group Mm. of friends I hang out with. I just like to keep it small, speak to the people that I gel with. But through the process and then definitely through my career, I realized that I enjoy speaking with people, right? Uh, it, it it makes me so happy to speak to someone and almost peel off the layers that they have uh, that yeah. that has been built over all these years, right? And trying to understand why a person is who they are, why they think what they do, why they do what they do, right? That sort of curiosity, I I, I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it has to do something with the fact that I always wanted to be a fraud investigator and that is was my career in a way so it was always about like trying to learn people right trying to understand people and you know this 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 thing called micro expressions i don't know if you've uh, seen this no. um, there's this uh, series an english series called lie to me where they analyze micro expression literally a slight twitch in your eyebrows or a slight twitch in your lips could could show that you're nervous or excited right 
which which makes so much sense. Uh, and when yeah. you learn to analyze people, that that's what happens when you learn to understand. And it's not analyzing for the sake of analyzing. It's analyzing for the sake of understanding them and what they may be going through past what they're actually telling you, right? So I think that's definitely got me a lot to where I am. But apart from that, I, I think I have always been someone curious. I've loved reading. I still love reading. I mean, uh, as a kid, I would just take any school books you give, like except the technical ones. I'll read them before school even starts. Right, that used to be my puzzle. Like, I'll literally be there with my science books, reading science books before school, not to learn, but like uh, just to read the story or read it like a story. <laughs> so I think that made me really curious anyways, because I would read anything and everything. Over time, that hasn't left to me, like just mm. trying to understand a new thing. Uh, and it's the same. I think it's the same mindset. It's just not understanding people, but it's also understanding environment, circumstances, yeah. what is happening. So I think that has uh, got me. But man, that's such a loaded question. I could go on for like three hours. No, it is. I, it I, definitely is. <laughs> I'll probably tell you things I don't even know about myself. Like, yeah, please <laughs> go ahead. No, no. Uh, no, but I, I would say curiosity just more than anything because it struck me in a podcast I was listening today about how you always need to stay curious. And that got me thinking like, yeah. maybe... That's the reason I am who I am in, in that manner, right? I mean, that's not me fully, but like in one manner, the reason I'm even in Web3 was because it fascinated me from the beginning. Like, what is this? It's not surprising. Right. Like even hearing you just talk for five minutes is it just, it makes so much sense that you would be, that you would be in this space right now. And I, I love introverts. I love introverts because What's really interesting is that in the way you were talking, you say you like to speak to other people where what strikes me is that I feel like, and, and you've kind of hinted towards that, is that you love to listen to people. Yeah. You love to hear what they have to say. And you're, and that's what I was, that's what I felt fascinated about with you is that maybe I finally met someone who's as interested in hearing people's stories as I am. What you're saying about the tw the twitching of the eye being a uh, ph physiological response to something internal is just such a great description of like there is an infinite world happening inside of us wow. and it expresses itself in like just small movements and small like flicks of the eyes and it's in ways that we ourselves don't recognize. I mean that was the whole premise of the series, right? People are trying whatever they can to not respond to uh, a certain question or a certain interrogation. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's based off an actual scientist who does this for a living. Like he has an entire course on micro expressions that you can sign up for, etc. So it was based on, on that when I dug into it, which I found all the more fascinating, right? It wasn't just a TV show. Mm -hmm. It was like actual science that you can learn and train yourself. And that's the point, like, we react in situations in so many mannerisms in so many different ways that we ourselves don't realize until it's gone. And then we're just like, oh, okay, that's maybe not how I should have uh, responded that way. Or maybe that's not actually what I was thinking. Maybe not what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually want to say what I did because I wanted to say something else. 
you know, you you uh, have you ever had this 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 thing at school where you know someone's uh, sort of insulted you and you've either not said something or you said something. You think back, you know, uh, a day later, hey, I could have said it this way, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, oh. Story <laughs> when I was when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I used to obsess, and also because I, I I developed and I built myself in such a way that all of my self worth depended on how others viewed me, and so everything that you're describing right now, every single thing that I did or said or were, just ended up being stuck in my head and going on in a, in a loop, and and me trying to holy shit, like I need to what happened did i do this right or wrong and yeah. it's incredible that you're saying that because that was me mm-hmm. so when we started this conversation like i, I know we're going to find a lot more similarities but yes i mean yeah. 100% that was me thinking about everything i said people what they said and just you know just obsessing over it and i don't know when <clears throat> i uh, sort of decided not to do that anymore uh, i can't pinpoint a, a single turning page sort of thing but right now thankfully that's no longer the case right how did you go about it though because i know how i did but i i i'd be super intrigued because i know that you and i were not the only ones there's a ton of people who have been told that they need to behave a certain way and and who obsess over the way they are behaving because like even in you hear it in relationships you hear it in in work environments of oh my god i did this like how do you think i'm going to be perceived and and everyone's struggling with that where my approach to life right now is you at any time moment you can only be the best version of yourself like you can't do better and you can't do worse you're just going to do what you're going to do but what was your process in moving beyond this constant feedback loop with what you think other are perceiving of you good question so for me i don't know what my process was but i can tell you what it is now for instance if someone says something that hurts me right i think i look at it one i try at least you know i'm not 100% perfect i get it wrong even with the closest people in my life especially with them right because yeah. they're like it's no longer a facade and it, it just becomes so much harder to do whatever i do with other people with the closest people like my wife for instance um but at least what i try and do is employ a sense of empathy realizing that they might be going through something that has nothing to do with me and which is why they have said what they have and if i decide to ruminate on that and obsess over it it is not going to help them but it's definitely not helping me right because it was misspoken it was misstated it was misunderstood so would i rather leave that behind and actually try and figure out what were they trying to say what was behind what they said than obsessing so i would obsess over that now right but in a more positive yeah. manner like okay this is what happened this is what happened so maybe this is how i should respond to it um so that that is one but second i think this is almost a process that a lot of people go through and some get out of it some don't when you're or at least i, I won't say when you or generalized but like when i was in that stage right 
I had not done anything to tell myself that I'm worthy enough to not let this impact me, right? Like, why does something hurt you? It's because you take it personally. Why do you take it personally? It's because you almost believe that about yourself, right? Now, okay, which means there is someone else's belief of you and then there is your belief of yourself. Now, when we're in that stage or when I was in that stage, I didn't have this sort of sense of belief of myself, right? But over the years, doing what I have, being good at least, you know, I, I think I've, I've done well uh, in whatever phase I was in, right, has allowed me to develop that sense of self-worth and belief that, yes, okay, I am where I am because of something I've done, Yes, a lot of people have contributed and I'm grateful to them, although I should definitely make it a practice to try and be more grateful. But but it's because, okay, you know, what's funny to that is I tell myself that, you know, a lot of times. But on the other hand, I also then suffer from imposter syndrome, right? Where getting into a new thing or even thinking about a new thing, I always just end up telling myself initially that, oh, you can't do it. Like, what is this? Like, what are you even trying mm -hmm. to do? But then after that initial thought comes in, then it's about me fighting with myself almost. Okay, why do I think I can't do it? No, you can do it. Okay, you can do it this way. Oh, no, but you can't do it. So there's this, always this internal mm -hmm. conflict, which I think if, if done right, can also be very healthy, right? Because Completely. it's not that you think you're, you're everything, you're 100%, right? But you're realizing that, okay, you're not there yet. You can get there, okay? So then you start identifying what you need to get there, whether that means learning more, whether that means connecting more, whether that just means exploring more. To me, that's how my current process is. And like I said, mm -hmm. I still get it wrong so many times, but I'm at least a lot more peaceful than I ever used to be. Like I can tell you that 100%. So it's honestly like almost That's a amazing. weight lifted off my shoulders uh, over the years when I think about it. A huge one, even. Yeah, man, I, I, I love this. And I think we've, unsurprisingly, we've gone through a similar process. And I think the one layer that I add is in any, there's a great book called The Courage to Be Disliked. I don't know if you've heard about oh. it, but it's, it's, it's a, uh, I, yeah, I love it. I've never finished it, but I've somehow read some of it and recommended it, I don't know, like 50 times. <laughs> Basically, it says, one of the things that it says is that all problems stem from interpersonal relationships. There is not a problem in our life that doesn't cause for, that doesn't come from our, our relationship to other people around us. And When you take that and you extrapolate it and, and go like a few steps of uh, interpretation, every time you're having a problem, every time you're feeling a certain way about a certain situation, there's your dealing with it and there's your dealing with the other person in this, in this relationship. And I think that's one of the things that I started to really learn in my previous entrepreneurial um, adventure with my co-founder. And now that I'm with my forever partner, my like my wife, well, she's not technically my wife yet, but anyways, <laughs> it's, 
it's it's always hey this happened and this is how i feel and how i feel is not against you how i feel is not against me either it's just hey like this is the state that i'm in right now um how do you feel about this and creating this feedback loop kind of takes you out and in my experience has solved every single every single problem it it reminds me of um again it goes back to communication right and i'll probably touch upon communication given how bad i'm good i am like it it's such a paradox at times but um there was uh, this uh, tim ferris had a guest recently this um famous woman who's a motivational speaker or call caller whatever um and she was talking about how her and her husband uh deal with things um a lot of times is you know they have almost a measuring scale okay so let's call it you know 1 200 and when she comes back home and she says well okay i'm at a 20 what she's essentially saying is to her husband is you need to be an 80 for me right now so that as a whole as a collective we're at 100 right now if she says she's at 20 and her husband says he's at 20 then they come and sit okay how do we get back to 100 collectively because then it's no longer one person being there for I the other this. it's both of them being there for each other at that particular point or you know as, as circumstances change which i thought was was very powerful because what it does like i i still need to uncover the layers but like but the way i was thinking about it is it's something that you don't have to explain a lot you just have to say mm-hmm. you're at a 20 or a 30 or a 70 right um which means that it removes that certain barrier that you always have in terms of okay spilling things out it could be with a partner of the longest time but there's still a certain hesitation on saying something right but with this you just have to say you're 20 the other person says they're an 80 fine i mean there's almost that unspoken bond at that minute i'm going to be there for you uh or if you're both 20 20 then we're going to be there for each other until we get back to 100 together i love this um, i love this because it's it also forces you to be self aware Yeah. And I know like if we're having this conversation and if this conversation resonates with anyone they're probably already pretty self-aware but self-awareness is not something that's constant in our day-to-day lives and especially with the people who are close to us because you get in the routine so you just are who you are there's no judgment and it's amazing until like you're saying like she's a 20 and I'm a 20 and we're not really thinking about that we're just like in our own heads yeah but having this conversation objectifies it i love it i'm yeah. i'm implementing this right now in my relationship <laughs> yeah no uh definitely i think it was a recent uh, podcast with tim person forgetting her name which is so annoying but it was such a we'll look her up powerful and simple concept like it's literally putting puzzles together right it's 20 plus yeah. 80 or it's 50 and 50 Mm-hmm. or it's 20 and 20 okay we need like further puzzles maybe we need to do something maybe we need to go out maybe yeah. um and it it just creates a, a more understanding uh environment yeah. uh, because like you said you're right yeah many times we're in our own heads we don't recognize what the other person's going through and then we're viewing it through our lens they're viewing it through theirs 
and neither one of us are seeing each other. Uh, and then we say things that we don't mean. And then to fix that, by the way, takes a lot longer than if it was even spoken about at the beginning or like even with just a simple hack, right? But like solving that is just another whole journey because then that creates resentment, yes. it creates creates um, these unresolved feelings and then you sit on it and you bottle it and then things get piled onto it. So it's, um, it's interesting. Uh, and what you were saying previously about your co-founder relationship to your wife, to me, it's the other way around now. Like the things that I'm learning uh, being with my wife and having conflict, having good days, bad days, etc., is okay. How can I translate this and be more understanding, be more empathetic uh, to even my co-founders or my team or yeah, people around me, absolutely. right? And then you have that feedback loop where they say, okay, well, you're you said something uh, which wasn't right, and then okay, why did I say it? Maybe there was a reason I said it. And then when I look back at it, okay, maybe I was feeling X, maybe Y, Z, like whatever it is, and you got to grapple. And self-aware is, I think everyone is on that journey, if they want to be at least, for their whole life, because you're constantly yeah. changing, right? If you were self-aware at school, you would have said, okay, I am insecure, or I'm not insecure. Now, it's a different self-awareness where... It's about, okay, this is how I deal. And being on that journey is brilliant. I mean, it's it's struggle because uh, you face a lot of uncomfortable truths about yourself a lot of times. But then when you're able to at least see it in front of you in some manner, it's like, okay, you know, I at least know what the hell is happening. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's a, never, it's a never ending process. All right, I'm going to ask you, a very interesting question that comes out of what you've said before. How the hell does someone dream of being a fraud investigator? Like who at five years old is like, oh my God, mommy, daddy, I want to be a fraud investigator when I grow up. Well, uh, credits to my dad. So, I mean, my background, I come from, so I'm, I'm Indian, but, you know, born and raised in Dubai and I still live here. My dad, his dad, my mom, my uncle, and just like so many members of the family, I come from a long line of accountants, right? <laughs> so there was always that accounting finance gene, so to speak. I was always good with numbers. I, I understood finances uh, in a way. Now, why fraud investigator? So that goes back to me being an avid reader. One of the books or uh, the series that I used to love reading was The Hardy Boys, right? And that was a detective novel. And then from Hardy Boys, I go to Sherlock Holmes. I go to Agatha Christie. I go to all these different authors down the same crime thriller sort of route. And over time, I think I remember when I was 12 or 13, I told my dad, I want to be a detective, like literally a detective in the police force. Um, and he's like, no, why would you do that? And, you know, you're going to have to handle guns and it's not safe. And I sort of like put a pin in it. Think, didn't think too much about it. And then at some point, now my dad himself is a fraud investigator, right? So I remember this very clearly at uh, once he came home and this is the first time he ever spoke about what he does and without yeah. revealing like names and everything, because of course there's a lot of confidentiality attached to it, but he was just describing the circumstances. 
And I was just like, wait a minute. This is literally what I wanted to do, but in a more safer manner while probably earning more money. I mean, like, that's what I'm looking at at 13, right? Just to have a stable yeah. career. And since then, like, it, I went down the track. So, like, it was about getting my accounting. It was about getting awesome. my investigation, you know, certificate, participating in a few fraud investigations. And it's always fascinated me just because a lot of things, even personally, have been affected because of certain corporate frauds that have happened. So 2008 was, they don't call it fraud, but it essentially was widespread fraud uh, manipulation. Yeah. Uh, systemic, systemic fraud. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. right? With the subprime mortgages being so. And then you look at Enron and you look at all of these things, right? And it was just like, it's affected me personally. Uh, so what I really want to do is try and see how I can reduce this in my own little manner. Like one of my goals, let's put it, right, that I always thought of, the world loses almost two to three trillion dollars or maybe more in fraud. Like this is what is known. I don't even want to think what is unknown, but like yeah. two to three trillion dollars, <laughs> 5% of the world's GDP is lost to fraud every year. And I was like, if I'm able to cut down even like 0.01%, that's still that's a large number and it would have such a big impact. Uh, on, on so many people. So that's how I went down that journey. Uh, and then over time, sort of fell out of love with it. I think, you know, I did it. And then I was just like, okay, maybe I want to do something else. So I no longer am a fraud investigator. Like I still have my certificate, whatever, but don't actively you know, participate in any investigations. But hey, okay. it's it's good. I at least got to do what I always dreamed of, which is a lot, by the way. You know, the amount of people that I meet and speak to, I remember even at that age and now speaking to kids, right, who are trying to find what they want to do. I just tell myself I'm grateful, right, that hmm. somehow or the other I found what I wanted to do which allowed me to at least have a steady path right after school, you know, university, education, a career, etc. Whereas a lot of people took a lot of time to figure out what they wanted to do and maybe still haven't. Yeah. So, cause I was, I was looking through your LinkedIn bio and yeah. looking through some of the uh, highlights of, of that career or at least of a portion of it. What did you learn about, money and about the people who have a lot of money and who do these things while doing it because our activity our work all of that has a big impact in in how we grow as people and in our perception of the world and so when i was looking at what you were saying in the numbers like the millions the hundreds of millions what did you learn about all this what is your how do you feel about money these days Oof, um in in very interesting. I don't know. I have, uh, I'll be honest, I have a lot of different thoughts about money and I don't think I have fully solidified in a way what money means to me uh, personally, mm -hmm. just because, you know, I haven't been much of a saver, but because of my wife, I've started saving and now I realize why maybe I should have started saving a lot earlier, right? So that is one chain of thought. But then on the other hand, there's also that, okay, you got to spend money to make money. So it's okay, i got to spend money to either, let's say, 
either invest it or put it in a business or do something with it to make it right because some yeah. people let it sit and do nothing with it and it gets eaten away by inflation some people do the other way i think one thing's for sure i just don't think money buys happiness i think that cliche is true at the same time though i do not like the way money gets portrayed a lot of times where it's about oh you don't need money to be happy i mean try telling that to the homeless person who is almost dying every single day that money can't buy him happiness right so to, so to me it's both those different um views that okay on one hand it can on the other hand it can't and i think the middle ground is just about what we think is is right for us right i mm. think what we think is okay is this much but that's not an easy question to answer cuz i no. don't think there's a otherwise i wouldn't ask it right no i'm saying that very question is what does um yeah what does money mean or how much money is sufficient is actually not an easy question to answer because a lot of times you think a million dollars okay that's it i'm going to retire or 10 million i'm going to retire right and then 2 years later you have that million just like no i need 10 10 million more um so it's like okay why do i need it what am i looking to do what is this money going to do for me that will make me happy right yeah. so is it going to give me a certain sense of security well okay can i get that sense of security somewhere else or in some other manner without that much money right if that's the case then hey i don't have to pursue a lot of money instead i can do things that i'm happy with right and i think as as uh, as a founder or someone who's just trying to build something right there's always that thing like okay how how do i look at it right should i give up let's say a high paying job or should i just go ahead and do something that i like right mm. and that's when it's okay you know what i wanted the high paying job because it was going to make me or that money was going to make me happy but guess what what i'm actually wanting to do will make me a lot happier even if i earn less right mm. um yeah absolutely and and why people have done it honestly that's a, a loaded question like i've i've seen people who have everything like everything possible and they would still cheat scam their way out of things right i've seen people who have nothing and there's almost a reason for them to do it right and they do it I mean if you want a more scientific uh, uh, response to that there's a the fraud triangle right you need opportunity incentive and rationalization you need to have the opportunity you need to have the incentive but you know the interesting thing is the rationalization rationalization such as oh my company doesn't pay me so much so it's okay if i take off a few hundred dollars people many times have the opportunity they have the incentive but then it's about okay what do i tell myself that I'm doing this for uh, and that either stops them from doing it or actually act- pushes them further to do it if there's really someone very disgruntled and like the case with one of the cases I was on 
where this guy was just being underpaid for like 30 years and he was part of like a uh, 2 million dirham like let's put in usd about 500 600000 usd fraud and i can understand why he would do it because he's been with the company since the beginning but he's not been paid uh, as much as he thinks he's worth so like okay i understand why i believe it's wrong but i understand why you did it right mm-hmm. and that's what that's he tells himself and that's what he tells him and so and so from this because this was your background this was your experience this was your life for for so many years and so now you find yourself in web3 <laughs> and very interested in web3 what was a eureka moment for you what was the thing of holy shit web3 is it <laughs> so i got to give credit to my wife and I always do because i wouldn't be in the space if not for her so i remember back in in the previous bull market you know where we were already at the peak of the bull peak of the cycle my wife's like hey you want to get into bitcoin and i'm just like i come from a very skeptical mindset right and i'm just like what is this scam like no i i don't want to she's like no how about we put in a lot of money like literally chump change why don't we just put into it and see what happens and i was like okay i did it now the thing with me is If I put my money into something, I definitely want to find out what the hell is happening there. Right? <laughs> It's almost that Indian side of me that uh, we want to know that that money is being well spent, which reminds me of another thing I have about me. Any- anyways, um, <laughs> so I'm just like, okay, I put in the money. Uh, it coincided with a trip uh, that I was. I'd gone to another country. I was seconded there, like put on a long-term assignment for about six months, where. I would work, you know, a typical nine to five, but then I have the entire evening, and this was right after I put in that money. So I was like, okay, let me look into this, and that's when I went down the rabbit hole, and that's when things started to click. Like, okay, transparency, immutability, provenance, and I'm just like, all of these were just such abstract concepts. Even this whole decentralization, right? But it almost helped me coming from the background that I did. was almost that hey you know what the banks didn't do shit to protect us they were the ones that caused the 2008 crisis right so why should i even trust the banks anymore with my money so okay here is an alternate system where it is trustless it's peer to peer and it's immutable it's transparent i can see what the hell's happening there's no corporate veil there's there's no hidden books you know everything's open i'm like yes like mm. why not like why wasn't this done earlier almost like why are we not doing it right now cuz this is how it should be in in a lot of different manners right like we need to know what the hell is happening with our money we need to know what the banks are doing we still don't i mean Did the 2008 crisis yes brought upon a lot of improved regulations have been definitely a lot of there's less corporate fraud since then but the fact is we still don't know how the money is being used so like would i rather sign up just rationally as a human being i have money i'm giving it to someone do i not want to know how that money is being spent what well, we do but we never question that because we only know that system of giving the banker money getting an interest of absolute nothing and being happy with it yeah i think that's a that's a big i was going to say it's a western thing but i think it's a global thing of 
governments and generally also large corp- corporations have been kind of infantilizing the people at the bottom or like the 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 populations because it's trust us we've got your best interests at heart and and so you put your money to some to something or to some place that is credible and i think that's one of the biggest problems right now i i kind of had this i don't know naive dream that once the system changes the people who are part of the system will change as well and it turns out that it it's not really the case because you have people you have teams that are launching protocols that want to decentralize and where the in the in an ideal world the target audience would be like all right i have bank on one hand and i have defi on the other hand defi you have more power in your hands, you have more autonomy, you have more agency, but it require, you also have more responsibility. And part of your responsibility is you need to level up. And yeah. you find yourself, you find yourself, and as a founder, in front of people who sometimes will still keep the same mindset that they had on one head and on one hand and not really transitioned. And, and that's one of the hardest things of okay ux is a, is a very important thing yeah and and we're feeling it and and it's on the mind of a lot of founders but it's not enough we need to kind of rewire the brains of millions and millions of people in order to be able to really go to a place of all right i'm going to take care of my own money and so i'm going to do the yes i'm going to need to spend a few hours on this but at least I have the I have the power. You know what's interesting is this concept of owning your money is not new. As an Indian, right? If you look at our heritage, I mean, my grandmother still does it, right? We keep our money with us. It's as simple as that. Like you go to some old, um, actually, just just about any Indian, and you go to the grandmothers or like the older relatives, they would store their gold at home in safes and locked boxes, right? And they would take the necessary precautions, whether it be installing a security camera, a fantastic safe, so on and so forth, whatever. But they wanted to know that they have access to it. It was as simple as that. They didn't trust anyone with it. And that's just how the system operated. I mean, we did move from gold to to paper money and to, uh, well, free digital money, like, you know, credit cards or whatever. Yeah. But like there was gold at that point. And what do you think was happening with gold? It wasn't that people were lugging around bricks of gold and giving it to the bank and then taking it like two days later. Yes, I need like one half of this. Let's do it. They, they would just keep it with them and they would use it how they deem fit. And I think, uh, of course, a lot of people have forgotten about it or probably didn't have the same heritage. But I think a lot of that is just because we do not want to understand. I think there is some part of us which is very normal that takes the safer route or the supposedly safer and actually the more comfortable route where, hey, you know what? The easiest. The easiest route, right? We don't want to take care of it. We're just going to give it to somebody and let them manage it. We don't want to store anything because who knows it's going to get stolen at home. So we're just going to give it to someone. And that's it. It's the reason why a lot of new wallet providers are allowing you to almost reset your keys and like retrieve your wallets and everything. 
Why? Because yeah. as messed up as that sounds, like, and we're going back to Web two with that, but unfortunately, that's where we are. Like, that's what people want. They just want to be able to log in or sign up, forget about it, forget their password, come in and be like, forgot password, generate a new password, and do that again two months later, right? But if you look at us, for us, it's like, okay, you write down the keys and you keep it somewhere, you get a ledger. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just about having that curiosity mindset, which I had and I was privileged enough in a way to have it because of whatever I wanted to do. So it was always about being curious. And I think unless you are that way, you will never realize that there is an alternate way. And I'm not saying Web3 is perfect. I'm not saying this is the way. I mean, who knows? 10 years later, there's going to be a better way to manage money. I'll be open to it. I'll be open to switch. I don't think it has to do with that. I don't think it has to do with the system. I think it has to do with the people who make up the system. And the problem with Web3 is that 90% of the people who have gone in, who have got in in the previous bull runs, have got in because one of their or many of their friends or the media have said, holy shit, there's a gold rush. This is where you're going to 100x your money in, in a few weeks or in a few months. And so there's no real infrastructure for knowledge. There's no... I keep getting reminded of the matrix lately because I'm building a I'm building a, um, a decentralized ecosystem and we want to have some steps in order to get into the system, some proof of knowledge, some proof of value, some proof of understanding of what it is that we're trying to build and the behaviors that are that are expected. And so I keep thinking of the matrix and the knowledge download. Mm-hmm. Like it was such an important part of yeah. Neo getting out of the matrix yeah. and getting back in with a with a better knowledge. And it's the same thing. You need to get out of Web 2 and you need to get out of the traditional banking system. But you can't just get out and get back in and just expect that everything is gonna gonna change because you need to you need to do the work that you did. But not everyone is going to do it. And that's why we have to do some intense work on the onboarding into those new systems because we need to help transmute those people's minds and understandings of how the world works. And okay, there's freedom in this side. Yeah. But with freedom comes responsibility. You know, um, a a couple of things on that same uh, chain of thought. So when I was posted, I mean, nine to five, that five to six hours after, or maybe a lot more, all I did was read white papers. Like I didn't understand shit. Mm. But what I understood was the gist of it. I understood what a certain protocol or a project was trying to solve, right? I got burnt because, you know, I got into ICOs and everything. Um, but it was okay. I, I still look back at it and think of it as an investment. Because through that, I was able to understand why a certain project is trying to change a certain way of working, Right. Let me give you a simple example. Yeah. There's a platform called Audit Chain. They, they're still around, and I'd seen them back in the day, 2017, 2018. Now, how Audit works is, you know, a company has its financial records. It goes once a year or maybe, you know, a little bit more during the year. Go to a centralized body. They stamp, verify. They do all these sorts of stuff, and you leave it on them. Yeah. And my background, I have been that auditor as well, right? So I've I been in that. I've been on that side 
looking at these financials, signing them off, whatever it be. But what this protocol aims to do is uh, decentralize it while also giving almost real-time auditing, which makes a lot of sense because now I don't need to wait for that once-a-year financial statement to come to make my investing decision. I will know how a company is operating on a regular basis, right? Yeah. So that struck. I was just like, okay, this is very interesting. And so on and so forth with, with a lot of these other protocols. But you know what was more interesting is whatever I am today wasn't because of the person that I was in that 2017 to 18. What happened is, okay, 2017, 18, I got burnt. I saw ETH crash to $86 and I was getting engaged and I had a lot of other things happening. So I pretty much left the market. I remember the last time I checked my Binance wallet being the day I got engaged in 2019, right? The same day. And I just left it completely for a year or about a year and a half. And I came back in 2021, you know, Web3, I was like, okay, very interesting. And even there, I have to thank my wife because we, I, we went to a party that was with one of my wife's friends. And there I saw a guy checking his Binance account. I was like, damn. I haven't checked mine forever. What the hell is he doing on this? And we instantly shared a very good conversation for the next three hours. All we did was talk, talk about this, that, that. He got me into his nice little group with other folks investing in crypto. And I still kept resisting. So this is me. I am bullish on it for a good two years. I leave it because I've abandoned hope, right? And I'm resisting this group and whatever they're doing and they're investing in all these coins. I'm like, man, this is all, you know, it's all trash. It's not going to go anywhere, etc. And then I had to get over myself, which is like, wait a minute. I believed in it at a certain point. I was a Bitcoin maxi, a crypto maxi, so much that I had bets placed with my uncle that Bitcoin's going to go to like a, a million and all those mm. sort of crazy. Like I was fascinated by it. Right? Been there. Yeah. So, but I still left it. And when I came back, it was with, I think, a certain level of respect, but also humility in the sense that, you know what, I still need to learn a lot more. There's still so much to be uncovered uh, and actually identify the reason I want to be in this space. Uh, the reason then was, okay, yes, all these great concepts and, okay, I might make money and all of that. But like, okay, now that I know all of that, what do I want to do? Like, yes, I want to meet people in this space. I love this. Yeah. I love this because it's it's a perfect yet another example of you need to get burned and that's the process of evo of evolution and is the process of life and the universe in general it it goes up and then it goes yeah. down and then it goes back up and and when you go up we went through the same process by the way the ICO craze making nice. a shit ton of money and then going back way way down and we all have our hook We'll have that one thing that that keeps us in, or that makes us uh, that makes us come back, because you're not just a, a passive participant in this. You are you're also a founder. You want to do things. You want to connect people. You're participating in in awesome communities. Because I, I got to dig into those a little bit. <laughs> what impact do you want to have? What what? And I'm tired of just talking about Web three because Web three is just a potential new infrastructure for our society. It's not 
the end all be all of what we're doing. It's just a tool towards something else. So what's, what's the impact that you want to have in, in the world and, and why is um, Web3 Tech an, an avenue for this? Okay, a uh, couple of things. I mean, uh, with Web3, I love what you said because to me, like something I was inspired by in one of um, uh, the uh, VCs I was in, right? Voice calls, voice calls for those um, who don't understand VCs and might uh, misinterpret it. So there's one of these calls and someone said, I'm waiting for the day that Web3 is no longer called Web3, but it's just called tech. And that yeah. resonated with me. And I was just like, boom, there it is. Because that's essential. It's essential that we get over the barrier of having to name something, something, right? When in reality, it's just tech, because what that has done counterintuitively is actually set up those barriers. It's almost like the borders that countries have or the castes and the creeds and, you know, the blacks and the whites and all these things that that split us in the world. Now yeah. we're almost because of our perceptions. Exactly, right? And now yeah. we're almost doing that with Web3. But then on the other we hand, are we are 100% should... doing that. Not even almost. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I hate the narrative that, okay, we are Web3 and we're just very different. And first, I don't believe in that. I, I don't think we're very different. A lot of things we're doing now have been done in so many different manners, but just called different names. And so will yeah. Web3 be called different names, like NFTs became digital collectibles, right? But what, what annoys me is we already have enough things that we fight about in the world. And if we are in true Web3 ethos of being a community and talking about communities and how communities lead the way and it's all community, community right? What good are we doing ourselves by splitting Web3 and Web2 and saying, okay, we're just very different. Yes, the tech is different, but it's still tech. And what that's done is played into the minds of everyone else. Now, as soon as I talk about Web3, there's either a negative or a positive connotation. Tech, mm, by the way, absolutely. has a very neutral connotation. Tech is tech. What people do when they hear of tech is they're intrigued. Technology, right? You just say the word and it's intriguing because you want to know what technology is. You want to try and dig into it. But as soon as you say Web3, people are like, okay, it's a scam. Or on the other hand, oh, brilliant, it's Web3. Why are we doing that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, the, the narrative needs to change. It, it, and, it, and it will. And it will. Uh, if, if, if the why are we doing that is, a, is, a, um, is an actual question, and I'll, I'll take it as is because I think that it's a very interesting one. We are doing that because I think that's how every innovation process starts. It starts with, you know how the adoption curve works, yeah, right? Yeah. You have the... Um, early movers, the early adopters. The innovators, yeah. the early adopters. And so the innovators and the early adopters, they care about, like Steve Jobs and Wozniak, they loved the concept of the tech. And then they found a way to bring it to the market. And I think that's what we're doing right now. It's especially frustrating at the moment because we're, we are in our eco chamber of just people of a lot of speculation because it's very intrinsic to to our to the text that we that we love but i think it's a necessary part and and there are people like you and there are people like uh, me and us and the people around us who actually saw this for what it is 
Yeah. And it's exactly what you're describing. It's tech. It's a tool. It's something that we're going to use to build cool stuff that we'll bring to the market and that will make us forget about the words Web3, the word Web3. Absolutely, right? It's it's tool and it just needs to be seen that way. Yes, and yeah. I've always believed this. I think even back in 2017, researching all of this, some part of me always told me that, okay, all these coins most of them are going to die and many of them did but the tech is going to stay and over time i mean that's what we're realizing more and more it's less about these crypto coins or even these nfts right but it's like okay what can the tech do for us but what annoys me okay fine we want to call ourselves web3 i'm happy to buy into it because at least to begin with there's a uh, almost a need in some manner to differentiate to almost uh, also segregate what is the the old tech and the new tech let's just call it that way right but what is annoying to me is when people try and claim web3 to be the end all and be all where they refuse to believe that web2 had very good practices that could be impactful in web3 it's where we think that we're going to run things in a degen manner and we're still going to win because it's Web3, it's community, it's culture, right? It's why a lot of projects fail. It's, a, it's, it's why there's so much, I mean, so much happening in the space where basic financial concepts are not understood. I mean, basic planning is not done, right? Where a project is going to mint, they have zero plan B, they have zero plan C, they do not know what they're going to do if they don't mint out what they're going to do if they do mint out. Like, they don't even know that. Like, yes, they have all these fancy roadmaps, but they literally don't know the next day we get the money, what do we do next, right? But fine, you're getting money is great. What do you do if you don't? Are you going to cut supply? Are you going to reduce? And then they're scrambling around on mint day trying to figure out what to do. And then that just, of course, annoys everyone else because when you have put your expectations in a project, you have consciously or subconsciously told them and trusted them that you're going to do everything right, which means at least knowing what to do if you don't mint out. Like that's just, but basic concepts like this, we we don't care about. Yeah. And I just don't understand We're just why. a bunch of kids having fun or um, not even having fun. Yeah. Like the thing is what a lot of these project founders, yes, they come in with good intentions, right? And maybe they're a little young. Fine, okay. But what they don't realize is they're playing not just with their money, but with a lot of people's money, right? That, to me, what my fraud investigator had is a ground to sue that person because you're playing with that person's money. Like, that money could have been everything for that person. You have taken that away from them because you have not planned. You had all the intentions. It was supposed to be a good project, but you just didn't plan because you thought you could run it a decent manner, Right? And then suddenly this guy has lost everything. What's he going to do next? That money may be for his education. That could have been for his treatment. That could have been for anything and everything. Yeah, but again, see, like this is this is actually a very interesting turn of the conversation because we're back to... I know where this is going. Investor being the victim, you uh, know? Whereas what makes a good investor or... When, if, if you're going to have responsibility over your money, you need to be responsible for your money and you need to be accountable. Every single project that doesn't know what they're doing, you can tell that they're that they don't know what they're doing. But if we keep that, you know, that narrative of, 
oh, the project stealing the stealing the people's money. Which, by the way, like I am an advocate for um, more responsible founders. I try myself to be extremely transparent. I try to res- to surround myself with people who are transparent. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you sent your hundred dollars or your thousand dollars. You're responsible for it. And that's the world that we're going into. I hope because it means that if you make that mistakes and you learn from it and you don't expect from other people, then hopefully you learn yeah. and you and you do better the, the next time. I completely buy into this narrative. I mean, absolutely, you should know what you're doing, right? As an investor. Now, think of the term we're using when we're investing. Think of the term an investor. Do you think a 15-year-old knows what investment is and knows how to identify a good project from a bad project? Heck, it takes me hours and hours to figure out when something's going wrong in a company. Hours of my time, hours of a lot of people's time to figure out where even $200,000 has gone wrong. And these projects go away with $2 million. Yeah. Right? So the point is like, if it took me X number of hours to just identify where 200,000 is, it's going to take me X times 10 to figure out where 2 million is going, which no 15-year-old is going to do. Then what is the solution? Because if we're going for decentralization, it means that we're going for a reduced barrier to entry for projects to have access to liquidity and for people who would normally not have been able to invest. Because, for example, in the U.S., you'd have to be an accredited investor or, or whatever then what is the solution? Because the responsibility needs to be shared between the two. And so if you're a 15-year-old or if you're a 25-year-old, I know 40-year-olds who don't know shit about due diligence and who still who keep investing. And so what for you is if, if we're... So one, there's definitely going to be more regulation and there's going to be more ways, but I don't think regulation solves everything. So for you, what is the... What would be then the the ideal situation, the ideal setup where the responsibility is effectively shared between the two participants? Right. So on one hand, and I'll speak on the participants, right? And this is me coming from a very Web2 millennial, call me boomer mentality. I just don't care. I believe (laughs) there is a certain level of financial uh, intelligence you need to have before you get into anything related to money, right? It's almost the reason why there's a bill in the parliament in the US right now where they're looking to change the definition of what it means to be an accredited investor where there's a quiz or something, right? You fill in that quiz, all these questions related to financial uh, finances and how to manage them, you pass that and you're an accredited investor. And I think that's a very simple, straightforward solution. It's, I mean... I I have no problem letting a 14-year-old invest in my company as long as he knows what he's doing. If you know, because and you're a giga brain, you understand finance, absolutely. Go for it. That's one thing Web2 didn't offer me when I was growing up, right? I wish I had, because I had a lot of financial sense at 15, at 16, with the kind of family that I had, with the kind of education that I had. I would have been happy to invest, right? I just didn't have the infrastructure. Now, okay, yes, we have the infrastructure. But I also had the basic finance sense, right? So I think that, to me, is a very traditional way to look at it. And I don't mind putting it out there. I just think that needs to happen. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, I am inspired by a lot of 15, 16 year olds who know their thing. But that's exactly the point. I'm inspired by those that know their thing, that know what they're doing, not by the people who are coming in and just going like, yeah, I'm going to put in $100 today. It's going to become a million dollars tomorrow. And hallelujah, this is it. On the other hand, from a founder perspective, it's just being understanding of who you're going to target and who's going to be impacted and what you're going to do for them and how you can almost manage the risk of doing so, right? And it's never going to be 100%, but it is still on you to know that you're expecting money, you're taking their money for a good cause, yes, but do they even know what they're doing? It's like preying on a helpless person, right? He has nothing and you're still trying to get something from him or he doesn't know what you're doing and you're still trying to... Like, mm. how is that helping anyone? It's a continuation of the chicken and the egg problem where... And, and that's why I was talking about double responsibility. We need to we need to have more responsible found, founders. And for that, thank God, there is blockchain and there are people like Zach XBT and there are other people than Zach XBT who do this job of bringing accountability because they're, they're capable of tracking people. And then you have amazing communities like the Crypto Masks uh, that are big and friends or other communities that are actually actively helping people to level up in their understanding of the markets. And by doing both of these things, hopefully in a few years and a few decades, we'll have, yeah, we'll have a market where there is uh, more accountability on both ends and, and that is uh, less likely to be the, the, um, the ground for fraud. Right. So that's, so it's a similar vision that I have for the future where you do not have this requirement to be an accredited investor and that's the top 10% of wealthy people in America, for instance, right? And different countries have different requirements, whatever. I think we're going to move to a world where as long as you know your thing, you're allowed to invest. Both in Web2, I think we're going to see that. Uh, the simple reason being because companies have seen how much impact retail investors can have both in the good and the bad side, right? With GameStop, mm. it was a bunch of retailers that tanked the stock because it was a collective action, right? So it can be both a good and a bad thing, right? And the point is you want to almost invite these people to have a more cohesive um, ecosystem for your company, for your brand, etc. But I think in Web3, we will see something similar. I think we're going to see a lot of SBTs right? Different, I know a lot of different protocols experimenting with digital identity, but then also proof of uh, experience, proof of education, so on and so forth, right? All of which are fantastic concepts. I mean, my only issue with that is like, how many are we going to have and who's going to decide on which is the one main SBT or protocol or whatever to follow? The market will. Exactly, right? But then would then that mean a more centralized ecosystem? Because it could be that this protocol has been set up by a centralized company. And so there are all these questions that I think about. But the point is, that's how I see it evolving, right? So my certificate is no longer be a piece of paper, but an actual SBT tied to my digital identity, which is tied to a lot of other things. Yeah. And I'm all for it. I'm all for it because with that, I can do so much more than I'm able to do now, right? Let me give you a very simple example. With the qualifications I've earned, right? You have to renew them on an annual basis. Now, whether you renew or not, your employer many times has no idea. You might have come in with 
a valid certificate. A year later, you've decided not to renew because that's your choice. The employer doesn't know, which also means you're then not allowed to do in many instances, not all, what you're doing. Now, it's a very simple fix with SBTs where SBTs are being tracked, they're dynamic, you update them if you have completed certain continuing uh, you know, professional education, like you need to complete certain things on a yearly basis. If it's done, it's done. If not, your access is revoked. Or there's at least a notification that to the company, now they have zero idea because yeah. the education provider is not linked to each and every company in the world. Mm-hmm. Now we no longer need that link because all of us have a single SPT, for instance, that tracks all of this. And when I go, yeah, and it brings a lot of transparency and a lot of automation and, and yeah. And accountability. We're going back to accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a lot of hope. Okay. There's, there's one last thing that I would love to actually get your thoughts on because being in France, being in Europe, every single person that I talked to, because for a time we were supposed to go incorporate in Dubai because Mm -hmm. uh, that was a very, um, it was a it was a solution that made a lot of sense and every single person that we told this was like mm, if you're going to incorporate in dubai then you're going to have a negative connotation when you're like telling this to the public in in our western world and i have a feeling that things are about to change because now the us is taking some very interesting um, steps with regards to regulation and, and with crypto and you have currents in Europe as well that are that are also questionable and and then you have places like Dubai that embrace it that embrace innovation and that embrace the that see where this is going and that are and the UK as well that are doing a lot of things to to attract talent and so How do you, you being in Dubai and you having lived uh, most of your life in Dubai, how do you see this uh, evolving in the next few years and how do you feel about all that? In short, I absolutely freaking love it. The interesting (laughs) thing, right? There's a lot of attention to Dubai now. Guess what? Back in 2017, 2018, it was already an intention of Dubai to be the blockchain hub of the world. Back in 2017, 18, mind you, where they were already establishing regulations back then, right? They were already either not establishing, but at least had set up task forces or groups or whatever to set up, right? 2017, where we didn't think there was going to be institutional adoption, where all these brands that are coming in the space now, you know, weren't even there, didn't exist. It was a lot more degen than it was now, right? But back then, Dubai had already announced it. So, I knew since then Dubai is going to be a key player in this. There is negative connotation that hasn't gone away for many years. Uh, it may may not go away. I mean, the way I see it, there's a lot of political sentiments tied to it and political reasons to, to have that almost whale of distrust because no country likes their money leaving, right? So there's a lot of political reasons for it. There's a lot of cultural reasons for it. People who believe certain things are right or wrong and people here that believe certain things are right or wrong. It is what it is. The point is, yeah. uh, you know, innovation is not going to stop. doesn't matter which country it is. Like, whatever you could say about the U.S., and there was a lot of shit levied against the U.S. since forever. I mean, it's not been a clean slate on everything, right? There's always been these pain points, these flashpoints, etc. Mm-hmm. But innovation continued and continued and continued. 
now, I, I'll be honest, as much as I diss the US and what they're doing, I still think there will be a lot of innovation despite all of this. Because if you want to do something, you're going to do it. Yes, you might try and find a more friendlier jurisdiction sometimes, but you still want to do it. And many times you still want to do it where you are comfortable at the very least. This is home, so I want to do it here. I'm Indian, but I want to do what I'm doing here in Dubai, nowhere else in the world. I do not care what happens in Dubai. I just want to do it in Dubai, right? There's almost that sense of home, right? And you want to... Yeah. And I think I the, the, there's a lot of these things um, behind the layers, you know, behind the forefront that will make innovation continue in the US. It'll be harder, uh, no doubt. But I see Dubai, I mean... So you were telling me about negative sentiments and this is my personal sentiment. Forget my personal sentiment. There's uh, Jason Calacanis uh, who runs... This Weekend Startups, the podcast and the Orland podcast. I'm very well connected in the whole investing ecosystem. Him and uh, who's the other guy? Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting. Two of them came to one of the funds over here. They had a, a seminar, a talk, whatever. And they're already pinning Dubai to be the future Silicon Valley of the world. And it's almost going to happen. I mean, at least the people here, people like me, believe it's going to happen. We've seen the building blocks for it, you know, just being built slowly and surely. And now it's all coming out in full force. There's a lot of money. There's the infrastructure. Uh, what I mean by that, like literally roads and building sort of infrastructure. Then you have positive regulations, not just crypto, but AI. Like AI came out next thing you know, there's, by, do you know there was a minister of AI long before AI was a fad? In, in Dubai? Yeah. Oh, that's that's actually like really cool. we're talking about AI now. There was a minister of AI for the past two years. I know last year for sure, but I know actually even before that. So I mean, mm. we we think ahead here. The government and the people we like to think ahead. I mean, there's it's no it's no stroke of luck that Dubai has got to where it has in fifty years. In just fifty years ago, this was just a desert, and I mean it. I mean, I've been here for thirty of those fifty years. Right. And I've seen what's happened in, in my lifetime of 30 years. And I can't imagine what's going to happen in the next 30. But there are always It's going to be investors. an interesting journey for sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not just me, right? Yeah. All these investors are also looking at it. People have, like now, um, Sequoia, they published a report where these funds out of UAE and Saudi are the liquidity providers, are the people funding the big VCs in the US, like Sequoia and A16Z, etc. So there is a lot of hand in front or behind the scenes because we want to innovate. I mean, there is that culture of innovation here and it's growing. I wouldn't say it's still Silicon Valley. I mean, we're a long way away from that, but it's growing. You go to the cafes here, or these co-working spaces and the buzz and the energy with each people, with each person building their own thing, working in a startup, like whatever, there's that constant buzz. Hmm. So I'm all excited for it, to be honest. And I mean, all I can do is tell you to come here. Yeah, I don't think I can. I don't think I can. Because one, it doesn't, it doesn't really, I'm very aligned with my values. Hmm. And I have very strong, humane values. Mm -hmm. And I, I heavily, I respect the push for innovation and the money that is being invested. <laughs> but I can't forget some of the sides like the other coin, the other side of the coin on, on that regard. And it, I don't see myself 
living in Dubai. I know that my girlfriend would never move to Dubai. And it doesn't align with me personally. I don't judge it. My friend, yeah. my friend is a, is a top executive at Half Brick, the, the uh, studio, the game studio. And he's been living in Dubai and he loves it. And I'm pretty sure that if you'd hit me at like 24 or 25, I would have moved to Dubai in a mm. heartbeat and I would have lived yeah. there for, for a few years and I would have probably loved it. Um, it. It doesn't align with who I am at the moment. I will definitely visit. I will definitely go because I know that things are always just the way they are at a certain point in time and that I hope that Dubai learns from the backlash that they that they sometimes receive. I believe that a, a new version of capitalism is possible, and so, and so I hope that we move towards this. And if we don't, and if they don't, that's that's just the way it is. We live in a world where everyone's just going to be who they are, and yeah. and and it's okay, and it's okay. You know, it's interesting that you said it because that was one of the points I alluded to. That I know my own brother, you know, born and brought up just like me doesn't see himself living in Dubai anymore. He's um, he's in Amsterdam now and has been living there for four years and he just doesn't want to come back, right? And there's a certain way of living that he is used to, which, which is fine, which I respect. You know, you, you know what you want and you know what you don't want. And if a certain country doesn't align with it, then it is what it is. And that goes back to my point, right? That that's exactly what I was mentioning. That's exactly what I was saying, that people want to be where they're comfortable because that's when their best work is going to come out. So there's no point that uh, for them to even think about moving despite what the government is doing. As long as they have the trust that, okay, things will happen. I mean, things will fix yeah. itself somehow or the other. So I mean, lots of headwinds, but a lot of tailwinds as well, uh, depending on where you see which part of the world yeah. and how you see things. So I'm all excited for this. Uh, and with AI coming along, it's even more fascinating for me. It's like AI to me, sorry, I mean, going completely off topic, but it's something. <laughs> There's no off topic here. Everything's on topic. So knock yourself out. Good. Because to me, I've been having a lot of conversations on this and looking. And I mean, I, I play with a lot of AI tools on a daily basis, helps in my work, in whatever we're doing. You know, I help my dad set up his ChatGPT Pro account because he realized his boss is using uh, <laughs> ChatGPT Pro. And he's like, okay, cool. You know, I got to use it too. Mm, yeah. uh, but to me, AI and Web3 are just so closely connected that yeah. that's the future I'm excited for, where I see AI being the front end of Web3 that hasn't existed till now. And blockchain, core blockchain, being the necessary element in AI to identify right from wrong, right? Because what is blockchain? I mean, immutable, transparent, and all of those things, right? Well, how do you know if some AI content, picture, video, or absolutely anything is who they say they are? Well, you're going to know that because let's say it's connected to your digital identity, right? which is on the blockchain, boom. Now you no longer worry about defects and all of those other things. You no longer worry about content being so. It's perfect. It's just a match. Like it's a match made in heaven. And yeah, that's absolutely. what I'm excited about. So I am playing a lot with AI, uh, probably researching a lot more in AI now than blockchain, but not with this hype mentality where, oh, you know, I've suddenly become gone from a 
you know, Web3 influencer to an AI influencer, mm-hmm. like a lot of people have Please done. don't be that guy. No, please. <laughs> You're better than that. <laughs> but, uh, but it's about, okay, how can these two technologies collide in, in, in a better... And complement each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Complement each yeah, other absolutely. and just provide a better uh, experience for everybody involved. So what are your yeah. thoughts, though, on it? I'm a stoic. Okay. It is what it is. I got a little bit afraid. So my whole thing is, and that's the ecosystem that I'm building. My whole thing is I want to help further fair distribution of value in the world. And I want to help bridge the opportunity gap that exists in the world. This is like all of my life experiences have brought me to this. And and I find myself in a position and surrounded by people who share this vision for a better basically capitalism and when i saw ai so i was really naive when i fell into web3 in 2017 Mm -hmm. it was like holy shit if we change the systems everything's gonna uh change like magic and like you got it from what i've said uh, previously in this conversation um i have now become a little bit more pragmatic on on that subject and so when i saw ai reach the level of depth and quote-unquote intelligence as it has so fast like i wasn't expecting this before like 2035 or something Mm -hmm. uh, because like other people who were very uh, knowledgeable on subjects didn't and so i had a moment where it's like holy shit this is going to fall into the hands of the wrong people who are Mm -hmm. going to harness it before the ones who really need it can get the most out of it so that was I don't know, like a month and a half ago or something. And now I, I'm back to stoic, to being stoic. And my personal thing is I'm going to build an ecosystem. I'm going to help people level up and learn everything that is available to them. And I'm, I don't plan on using my knowledge and my position to extract. I plan on using it to share and give back and to participate in creating actually decentralized um, environment and fear fueled. Like I, I also let, I'll still let that anxiety of, oh man, I don't want to like go too deep in that dystopian um, society. And I want to be uh, um, a force for good in, in this world. So that's where I stand. It is important to have people like you who believe in the force of good and the fact that in the face of all these technologies that could almost harm us in so many different ways, there is still people doing good, propagating good, and trying to uplift others. I think as we go along, right, I have seen more and more the need for people to be good. I mean, it almost circles back to the start of a conversation where Um, again just empathy right and just understanding because we are becoming more and more siloed now with AI for instance instead of a team of five it's going to be a team of two so there's instantly three people out now just one to one between these two people right so it's no longer a team it's just a duo for instance right with the technologies like the metaverse it's going to be more siloed I'm going to be in my house and doing whatever I'm supposed to do that I would have done outside in real life. I'd be doing that outside of, you know, in 
my home. The way I see it is going to individualize each person, right? Because there's they're no longer interacting. They're no longer being in the presence of others. They're no longer behaving with others like they used to, right? It's all through a screen. It's through a camera. It's through whatever headset device there is. So there will need to be people, on the other hand, who still show the good that, hey, it is still a community and we can align with each other and we do not have to be individualistic. We do not have to be singular. We can still be so much more if we do things together, work together, you know, have fun together. Like, I mean, you you asked me and I didn't answer, but like what I'm looking to do with whatever I am is just have more in-person communication and networking. To me, if I would have done anything different about this conversation was to have this face-to-face, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, as brilliant as this conversation was, I know we would have had a much more brilliant conversation face-to-face. And I've seen it in my personal interactions. So to me, I'm going against this whole need to be in your home and do everything from home or from a single place uh, and see people through a screen. I want people to be more inside each other's presence and to feel the magic that happens there. I love this. To me, that is it. Whatever I'm doing, it's literally me taking offline, uh, online communications. As soon as I can, I'm just like, let's grab a coffee. Let's get a drink. Let's go for dinner. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that I like more. That's awesome. I actually think, yeah, I actually think this is the perfect way to like to conclude this. And, and it's, and it's very necessary and, and I hope I can, I can help you in achieving that. Uh, before we, before we close this off, how, how do people reach you? And is there anything that you want to plug right now that you want uh, people to know about uh, what you're doing and where they can check it out? Yeah, you can reach out to me on Twitter, 108ETH. I can drop the link or you can drop it too. And we're building Collider. I mean, with the same focus, like I said, we just want to increase more in-person networking. So you can check out uh, Collider Web3 on Twitter. Apart from that, I mean, you can check me out through Polymath. Uh, If you know him, you know me. Uh, If you know him, you know everything I'm up to because... Uh, I do think we're going to have lots more conversations and we're going to have yeah, sure. so many more things. This has been brilliant. Thank you so much. I mean, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for being the here. expectation I had. I mean, this is just so past all those expectations and the levels at which we connected. I can't wait to have another one of these conversations recorded or not. I mean, I think yeah, probably too, man. not recorded the next time in real life, not recorded yeah. for sure. Cause I, I, during this whole conversation, I've thought, because right now in this ecosystem that I've mentioned a couple of times, we're onboarding a group of fantastic people. And there's like between 15 and 20 uh, who are becoming yeah. co-founders of this. And this whole time I've thought, holy, 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 like I need I need to tell this guy because he, like one, there's, there's no one around us that has your specific um, set of skills that I think are extremely important for what we're building. And your your expertise is is would be extremely valuable. So that's going to be a big, maybe when this comes out, uh, you'll have said no, you'll have said yes. Who knows? But yeah, we, I definitely want to tell you more about this. And now I still, I've, 
I do want to come to Dubai and now even more so that we can <laughs> hang out, grab a coffee yeah. and get some work done. Or not, I'm coming to France. Brother. Yeah, I'm, please. I'm coming there. So I don't, don't even, like my wife's been uh, talking about coming back because we visited Amsterdam about a couple of years ago and she does want to go back to Europe, uh, meet my brother and my sister, both in Amsterdam, but, you know, go around. And France itself is becoming a key Web3 player with its incredible events, yeah. etc. Let's meet in Amsterdam, by the way. I met I met Amsterdam. I love Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah. Now let let's uh, do something. But thank you. This has been incredible, and I can't wait to see everything that you're going to do. Uh, and these conversations are going to continue. So absolutely, we'll speak soon. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much. Right. The universe sings.